G'day, welcome to Minding Your Mind, all about your mind and how it works and mental health and mental illness. I'm with Professor Ian Hickey, psychiatrist, co-director of the Brain and Mind Centre at the University of Sydney and author with me of the book, Minding Your Mind. Uh, Today, we're talking about blended and mixed families. So two people get together, at least one of them has a kid or kids from a previous relationship. Then they might have more kids together. So there are all sorts of relationships involved, the stepfather or stepmother's relationship with their partner's kids, the relationship between the step-siblings. Then there's the former partner, the birth father of the, you know, it gets very complex. How does it all work? Uh, Ian, life can be complicated. Is tricky stuff, isn't it? I mean, having a new relationship is tricky enough without involving kids in that. Kids. As a great psychiatrist friend of mine once noted, there are blend, blended, mixed, and curdled. Curdled. Doesn't always work out as people would like. Yeah. And this has been central in my own thinking in recent times, James, because I've been hanging out with people about my age, and many of the kids and stepkids they have, guess what? Now they're having grandkids. Right. So yeah. now you've got three generational. You know, you started that two by two with Mindigo mm. stepfathers, whatever. Just chuck in a third generation. Of yeah, right. Who's actually the grandfather, but grandmother then, of who? Oh, yeah. And when you've actually had those kids be close to you over a long period, then they have kids. Mm. Whose grandchildren are they? And how does it all come together? Now, in the ideal world, you know, Brady Bunch, put it all together. <laughs> It's all waving, happy. Well, they all got on, but on the other hand, there was some sibling conflict at times. There was some, even in the Brady Bunch, there was a little bit of tension at times, wasn't yeah. there, within families and who belonged to the mum and who belonged to the dad and, you know, how it all worked or didn't work and blah, blah, blah. Well, in the modern world, I'd suggest it's much, much more complicated. In the Brady Bunch, yeah. there were no ex-parents. <laughs> ex Oh, I see. It was just the mum and the dad. Are they, are their partners have probably, have they died? I can't remember. I, I think it was implied they no longer existed. Right. Whatever. They didn't really delve into it. No, didn't really, didn't always, you know, what would have been really interesting in the modern family sort of sense is more mix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've actually seen the relationships and the ones you were just alluding to. Hey, you're not his dad. I'm his dad. I'm Did his more dad. of that. And who, you know, what are the nature of the relationships? And particularly during critical transitional issues, people often think this is most complicated when kids are really young. I'd say it's actually much more complicated when kids are older, when they know the differences, when they've seen the impact of the yeah. separation on parents and then as teenagers, whoa, you the know, where with, does this go? The other thing with the Brady Bunch, from memory, at least at one point, the three boys shared a room, the three girls shared a room, but in between their bedrooms, like they each had a doorway into the bathroom. Oh, the common bathroom. But they each had a doorway into it. Like how is that not going to involve disaster and tension and fighting? So that's probably a good note to start with. Don't do that. <laughs> Get a bigger house with separate bathrooms. Well, these are the kind of issues like where do kids live? Where is their stuff? Yeah. What's home? And then, as I was reminded in a number of these family discussions recently, you know, you go to school. Kids go to school. I don't know if you've had this experience. I've had this. Kids draw your family. <laughs> oh, Teachers right. going, hang on. <laughs> there can't be that many parents. There can't be that stuff. What is that? Yeah. What's home? Like mm. where's home? Or, well, sometimes I'm with this set of parents and that set of parents and I have other – you know, the kids often yeah. have a complex sense. Really challenging because our societal model is so much more – despite the reality of this for many children and many families, we still have this sort of idealised model yes. of things where, in fact, 
that's less and less common. Mm. And many, many children and many families and many parents and many grandparents exist in these complicated sets of relationships over time. The reason I was raising the issue about older kids is little kids don't really have much choice. <laughs> they, yeah, they grow well, up in the environment. They grow up in the environment with two mums and two dads and three mums and one dad or whatever else over the time. It's somewhat normative. But, but, but that doesn't mean, you know, okay, I live with my mum and dad. Oh, no, now I live with my mum and kind of live with my dad a bit. Oh, now my mum's with another guy and that guy's got two daughters. Like that that could be still very unsettling even, well, for a sensitive kid, slightly traumatic, couldn't it? Like if you're six or something. I mean, I, we'll get to the teen years, but for a six-year-old, it's not like it's all, oh, yeah, whatever, this is fine. So I'm glad you just threw in the middle of that sentence the sensitive kid. Yeah. There are clearly kids who roll with the punches. Right. And as long as they feel loved and cared for and supported, it's all kind of interesting. Yeah. You know? the That's a pretty kids. bad metaphor for kids, by the way. <laughs> roll with the punches. Adapt to the changes. Exactly. The constant yeah. transitions. Yeah. <laughs> yes, probably not a great choice of words yeah. there. <laughs> but we know what you meant. Yes. Um they adapt hmm. and just in a normative kind of way, these are changes and transitions that take place. And a lot of these discussions I've been having with parents and grandparents in recent times, that issue of who did what, were the kids inevitably harmed? I was putting my usual Pollyanna kind of twist on this. Yeah. Well, you know, there's an upside. Often if previous families had been dysfunctional and there'd been difficulties and people separate and create new lives, often parents are in better mental health and often this is good. And I would also imagine that you would say – exposing kids as they grow up in their first 10 years to lots of different uh, people, lots of different relationships, uh, being thrust in and suddenly having new people in your house might be unsettling at the time, but it's really good for your social development. Yes. I I've, put, I've listened to you I, over the years. I, I know did, what you say. In a recent heated discussion, I'd put that argument. Yes. <laughs> the person on the other side just looked at me as if I had three heads. <laughs> you know, surely what's required is just the stable, consistent – central parenting figures yeah. in a, you know, but, they but, matter. But you're a huge uh, uh, proponent of the village system. Lots of kids running around, l lots of adults, kids forming all sorts of relationships. So it's kind of closer to that, isn't it, than the nu nuclear family? Yes, much closer. Mm. Which doesn't mean it's not still unsettling. Well, interesting sets of, sets of assumptions. When I put that point of view, I found myself on the losing side. You know that I often do, James, losing side of many arguments yeah. with many sensible, intelligent people who just look at me sort of sideways. Like, really, Ian? Yeah. I think we've be, we have become quite narrow in the idea of wanting to be very good parents of this consistent parenting. Mm. When in reality, the experience for many people and many children is they're having to deal with this. As one person pointed out to me, come back to the sensitive child, but also children who will be then will be responding to, and might even use the expression, act out the distress of one of their parents. Mm. You know, so they are have picked up on the hostility or the grief or the upset that's associated with the situation, and they're expressing that in their behaviour on an ongoing basis yes. against one of the other parents in a, their own way. Also, this general notion, this Pollyanna sort of notion that I'm sort of putting of the general cognitive benefit of exposure to many caring adults who take yeah. an interest in your life and the, the opportunity to develop more relationships. As one kid said to me, what do I go? <laughs> one mum, not so good. Two mums, even better. Yeah. Three dads, excellent. Different people, different models, different opportunities, assuming that they're all sensitive, they get on, they can create a functional mm. issue and that the sort of tensions and grief and disappointments and anger have all been resolved, which of course in many situations is not true. <laughs>
So you have some, I mean, I have zero experience of this, either growing up or now, uh, but you have some, right? Yeah, I've got some personal experience. I grew up in a large family, which I was, mm. thought was a great thing, and that had many other, not formal step-parents, but additional other family figures, Yes, which these days would be more like step-parents, like spending time in other people's houses, mm. being with other families, in that kind of way. And in my own personal life, yes, mm. the issue of additional parents changing parenting relationships, yeah, with my own kids yeah. and with partners, yes. So I've got direct experience with that, and it's not not simple. Yes. And I think this comes back to the issue you were raising earlier on of different kids having different experiences as a consequence of that. So the assumption that it's all good or all traumatic <laughs> doesn't help anybody. Mm. <laughs> that different kids, and that, I'll come back to an earlier point about at different ages, at different stages of development, may adapt quite differently. I must say, in terms of my own separation and repartnering and all that kind of stuff, many older people said to me at the time, for the little kids, it'll make no difference. And I think that's largely turned out to be largely okay. true. For yeah. older kids, yeah. much more complicated. Yeah. So there's, I think, an age and developmental issue. And also, who is more sensitive or who finds the adaptation to change much more difficult? Yeah. And I think this is the sort of issues. And then, of course, one of the issues is agency. Kids who are older can express their own views <laughs> – yeah. And do <laughs> and will. And no matter what parents think about the arrangements they've come to amongst each other or the new partners, etc., kids themselves at different developmental stages will act out. They have actions. They have agency. They can decide, I really don't want to live with you anymore. I don't want to have anything to do with the ex-partner. I yeah. don't want to have anything to do with the new partner. I don't want to deal with his kids, those kids. I'm choosing to not be part of this whole new weird, even if you think it's a great village, Ian, I don't really like it. I don't <laughs> I, like I'd this prefer village. To have, I don't want this village. Yeah. I'd rather be off this island and, you know, return to some idealised version of how the world should be. So I, I would imagine there's a number of tricky things. Like if a teenager is going through a t tricky time, which let's face it, most teenagers are a heck of a lot of the time, it's really easy for a step-parent to become the focus of that, isn't it? So is there a problem between the step-parent and and the 16-year-old, or is really the 16-year-old going through a difficult time? The step-parent, you know, is doing as well as they can, but the, the, the step-parent has become the focus of the child's, you know, un unhappiness. That's one thing. The other thing might be it's really normal for teenagers and their parents to fight a lot. So if, if the teenager is fighting with the step-parent, you think, oh, this is a disaster. But on the other hand, this might be totally normal. It's also normal for siblings to fight a lot and irritate each other. And so if two step-siblings are fighting, you might think, oh, my God, this isn't working. But on the other hand, this might be just the, in inverted commas, normal amount of tension. But so, so I guess my point is it's probably really, really hard to analyse what the hell's going on and whether it's a, a, a problem with the – you know, there's big problems you've got to work out or there's just kind of normal because as any parent knows – when your oldest child is 17, you've never had a 17-year-old before, and yet it's it's all new. Every single year, it's all new. Exactly. <laughs> I'm so glad you said all of that. Exactly. Mm. And, of course, the danger is the focus of it becomes the problem is the step-parent. The yes. problem is the relationship with the stepdad or stepmom, or the problem is the relationship with the other kids. And that then is reinforced as the source of the problem. 
And, of course, is a challenge then to, to the stability of that whole arrangement. As you say, we love to tell each other a simple story. It's all their fault. And isn't it a simple one? Yeah. I'd be fine if you weren't in a relationship with him. Yeah, everything would be better. It would all be fine. I wouldn't have any problems if I didn't have to share the bathroom, the other rooms, the other, with the kids. Yeah. I had my own car before they moved in. Yeah. We had our own arrangements. We had that, that, that idealisation of the It was past. perfect. We had it all together and you ruined it. Yeah. You brought these other people in. You did it. That's caused the difficulty. So it does often become the focus. The explanatory model then settles on all of that, mm. leading to some of the really bad outcomes, of course, of, of tension and violence, but also one that a um, group of uh, these older parents and grandparents are raising me, one of exclusion. I choose to exclude. I choose to not have a relationship with various, yeah. particularly played out amongst teenagers and young adults. Or you've got no access now to the grandchildren or whatever because you're not the real grandparent. Oh, right. I had some fascinating discussions with other people recently of mums talking about their relationships with their daughters and their stepdaughters, <laughs> which ones, and their children, and which ones they had legitimacy with. I had never, never really thought about this. Legitimacy. They could comment on their daughter's own children and felt as the direct biological okay. grandparent, they had rights. Rights. But for the okay. stepchildren's children, they have no rights. <laughs> Can't comment. I kind of see that. Sounds a bit legalistic, but I kind of get it. <laughs> Um, the person who espoused it was a lawyer, interesting you should say, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think she was espousing it in legal terms. She was espousing mm. it in a kind of biologism, actually, a kind of, you know, these are the direct descendants. This is my grandchild. No matter what my daughter says, I didn't really heard this before, no matter what my daughter says, that's my grandchild and I have rights, if you like, or a role, let's not call them rights, a role. But the other ones- Do you feel that about your grandchildren? I don't have them yet. Do you have no, rights? I hadn't, I've never, I hadn't actually thought of the world quite yeah. this way. <laughs> I think yeah. that's because some people have noted that my commitment to parenting in the first place <laughs> wasn't overly intensive. So right. well, you've claiming done. rights to grandchildren seems a little bit remote. Yes, I think. <laughs> you probably have to be a little bit more invested. Yeah. But, but parents are very invested, I think, ongoing in their relationships with their biological children. Yeah, of course. And when they have children, mm. they are my grandchildren. But what about the step ones when they have children? Yeah. And interestingly, another story recently about who got invited to the births of grandchildren. Oh, wow. The births. Mm. Mm. And to see newborn children, biological mothers versus stepmothers oh, versus fathers versus stepfathers. Who's the real family? Well, if, who's the real lineage here? Not to make coronations or anything, but, you know, who's the real family? You know, where's the yeah. line of descent? Yeah, right. In, in very classical biological terms. And I'm thinking, hang on. <laughs> this is not really – this is very confronting. Yeah. You know, because people have invested. Step-parents often invest a huge amount in trying to make those relationships work. It'd be really hard. And then find themselves – excluded. Oh, you're not the real mum. You're not the real dad. Yeah, right. He, she from the past is the real dad or the real family, the grandparents. I've heard grandparents express this point, you know, no, 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 we're the real grandparents and the real grandparents are more important than the step-parents. Mm, gotcha. Let me ask you a te slightly technical question. When we've talked before about family relationships, you have said how when families fight, they are much better at forgiving each other and moving on than 
when other people fight, when friends fight, for example, because they're all invested in the unit, they're, they're all living together and they all know that they love each other, right? So if you, you and your family live in the same house and you all fight, usually – not always, but usually within 24 hours, you've kind of forgotten it and it's all fine. I think you said you forgive better than I do, but yes. <laughs> yeah. So if if there's a, a mixed family and a blended family, are the non-biological ones as good at that? You know, if a, a step, two step-siblings, a step-mum and a step-kid, if they've lived together for a couple of years, will they be as good as that quick forgiveness or is that something that's more – ingrained from birth because we're all of the same blood. Wow. Normally I'd say I'd have to retreat to the research evidence. Yeah. yeah. Retreat to anecdotes here instead. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's a really good question Mm. to study systematically. In my experience with this and in dialogue with many many families, because I'm sort of intrigued by this stuff. Yeah. Often found it to be a bit the opposite, that step-parents in particular will bend over backwards. To accommodate. To, to accommodate. Mm. Feeling, you know, that they're going to get blamed or it's partly their fault or and people tell them it's their fault. You know, right. you, you cause the disruption. It's not surprising. They're angry with you. You should be quick to forgive. Right. You should go out of your way to understand. Mm. So I was lectured on this myself recently. <laughs> Someone lectured me. You should understand better the traumas that you've caused. I mean, this is you in a sort of generic sense. Mm. And the kids are acting on that. And therefore, you should forgive them their, what you might otherwise call outrageous actions of exclusion or of criticism because of all that's gone before. Yeah. And I think many parents and step-parents who find themselves in that situation go, oh, okay. Might as well. Might as well. I caused it. Keep the peace. Keep the peace. I give in. Leading up, but, but having done that 20 times yeah, and still getting blamed- it becomes the explanatory model, the thing we were discussing earlier on. Everything that goes wrong is because of that. Every problem the kid has is a result of the trauma that you caused. Wow. It's a big burden to carry around. Well, I think you find parents, step-parents, step-grandparents, after a while go, oh, really? fair dinkum, really? Yeah. Enough's enough. Can we move on? But, of course, many people don't move on. Many people don't move on. I mean, these are very significant issues in people's lives, the break up in relationships, the break up in families. And it becomes entrenched. So this, the issue you raised of forgiveness, who's good at it? Who's good at moving on? I think that is one of the most complicated issues. I wish I had a research yeah. <laughs> basis rather than my own personal anecdotes, best I can tell. But I would say it's one of the huge psychological issues that sits underneath all of this. Okay. So if there's tension between two members of a blended family, two non-biologically related members – if that happens at work, two people are just not getting on and it's being disruptive. And as you said, the mental health of uh, – if, if there's five people in a house and two people aren't getting on, it affects everyone and affects the atmosphere of the house. So if that happens at work, you say, okay, you two people, we need to work this out. Let's get in a room together, maybe with a third person. Let's talk it out and resolve it. So is, is that something that can work? You know, the stepdad and the stepdaughter, they're just clashing all the time. What are the steps you can take to try and improve that? Yes, it needs to be improved. In fact, trying to get away from what I was just describing as how these things become entrenched, really important. Mm. So I think if you find yourself in those situations, trying to look at ways forward. I wouldn't say just the stepdad and the daughter alone. 
the family unit trying to deal with the issue. When I was very young, mm. I used to love what was called structural family therapy. Okay. Which is make sure the parents act as the parents. Oh, uh, yes. Make sure the kids know they're the kids. Make sure everyone knows where they fit in those things. So you but can't isn't that self-evident? Like, oh, no. No? And in fact, I'd argue in blended stroke-curdled families is one of the major sets of dysfunction. So give me an example. Well, a teenage daughter and the mum. Yeah. Biological mother, daughter, yeah. act as a unit. Right. But there's a stepdad. Yeah. But in fact, the stepdad and the mum are not acting as a parental unit relative to the teenage oh, daughter. The mum's, the mum's acting as the mum's with yeah, the daughter. Yeah, mum is in a very close and personal relationship with the daughter at a critical age trying to maintain that relationship. Right. And making essentially parental decisions with the teenage daughter, which result in exclusion of the stepdad. Uh, decisions like what? What rules apply? Uh, Comings and goings. Right. You know, critical issues of independence around what the 16-year-old can do or can't do in your own home. So you mean the parent is so focused on maintaining a good relationship with their daughter in this tricky time that they just become a yes person to them rather than a parental, you know, figure uh, setting boundaries and rules? Yeah. A lot of situations, which which is, for example, take this one, the mother and 16-year-old daughter, there may have been no stepdad for the last four years or five years. They may have operated Uh, very closely. Yeah. As a, you know, during that critical phase of development. So they're very close and they're used to making decisions together, not really. Is that bad? The closeness? No. But you move the stepdad in. Yeah. And go, well, sorry, you've got no role in this. You're just, you're just the recent arrival. <laughs> right. You're setting up a situation oh, for competition and for conflict. Right. So inevitably, inevitably, stepdad moves in in that situation. Yeah. And may even bring other kids, right? You're going to have to, re- you're going to, have to revisit yep. what are the family structures that are at work here. Right. Not to say the mother-daughter relationship is not important or isn't close, but you may have other kids. What rules are going to apply? Or are we going to have all these different factions running their own sets of rules? Right. Okay. So mum and the 16-year-old decided for them that's okay, but, you know, the stepdad's got a 14-year-old daughter as well. You know, oh, no, well, that's a different set of rules. Right. Because we had different rules beforehand in the family operated before we behave differently. But it must be very tricky if you get... Tricky? <laughs> tricky. Yeah, no, but if you get that situation and one house is run in a very organised, neat and tidy, do the washing up after every meal way, and the other how, the other people that are joining them have actually operated in a... I'm just picking this as an example, a different way where they have just a different view of household chores and more of a laissez-faire attitude and, I mean, that must be tricky because there's no right or wrong. And you pick the simplest one. Yeah. You pick the simplest one, household chores, household cleanliness, household order. Good one to pick, I think, actually. Yeah. Um, Well, we didn't do do it that way. Well, we did. Well, hang on. (laughs) Who is we? It's not how we do it. Who is we? It's not how we do it. Mm. Whose house are we living in? Yeah. Who comes and goes? Mm. I had another famous example recently where a family resolved this by continuing to live in separate houses. <laughs> right. Okay. So, well, that's an interesting approach yeah. to not blend the blended family. Just It was too hard. Mm. So the relationship was, existed between the adults, but they just decided it was too hard. Maybe in, a lot of situa- in some si- situations, maybe that's the right thing to well, do. Well, I think in that situation, the parents or the adults made a strategic decision to maintain their relationship in the only way they could. Yeah. 
Because the siblings weren't getting on. Interesting, because I'm kind of interested, taking a long-term view here, on whether that adult relationship survives. Because what they both said is, look, the kid stuff's more important than maintaining our own relationship. Well, lots of relationships survive for a long time without the two people living together. It's entirely possible. Yeah. And it depends how old the I mean, if the kid's old enough so they can have lots of sleepovers, the parents? Lots of choices. Lots of choices. Lots of yeah. choices. Much more commonly, though, for economic, but also for personal reasons, not a lot of us like to sleep alone yeah. all the time. Yeah. And adults get into other relationships with adults for the benefits, relationships with benefits. <laughs> That's one reason, yeah. Well, there's lots of benefits. Financial, emotional, yeah. physical, intimacy. Yeah. yeah. People like, as we've discussed many times, people like to live in relationships. Adults want to live in relationships. So they form new relationships. Only trouble is you've then got to form a new household. Yeah. Okay. So what with do you- different rules and different ways. Someone listening is about to, you know, them and their son are about to move in with their new partner and the new partner's daughter. What would be some tips? And, you know, they all know each other and it seems to be okay, but they've never lived together. So what would you suggest as advice? Advice. To make it work. <laughs> I'm going to go back to the structural family therapy approach. Yeah. The moment you do that, you are saying, that this adult parental relationship really matters and you're trying to make it work. Yep. So you're going to be the parents. This is going to be challenging for both sets of kids because they're all going to be the kids. <laughs> mm. They're all going to be the next – kids is a bad expression. They're all going to be the next generation. They're but, growing up. But when you say that parents are the parents, I mean, does that mean from, you know, week one, the stepdad is allowed to say to his stepdaughter – and really, are they, are they even a stepdad after a week? You know, I'm not sure what the technical definition is, but if, some, if I was 16 and some dude had moved in a week ago, I would not think of him as my stepdad. I'd think of him as some guy. Is he, do you mean they're allowed to tell me what to do? Like in week one, if I'm 14 and I'm supposed to go, oh, okay. Or is it better to, for at least the first month, root all that through the biological parent? Can you tell your daughter too? You make an excellent 14-year-old. <laughs> you put the argument for the 14-year-old. Okay, mum, stroke dad, how long is this one lasting? A week, yeah. a month, a year? Are we making an adaptation here? I think you've just hit the nail on the head of one of the other bigger problems. Yeah. If you want to go and establish a new household mm. and have somebody live in and take on these roles, you better be pretty clear that's what you plan to do. Yeah. Give people some notice. We're going to, we're thinking of doing this. If we're, we're going to, if we're going to do it this, in a month. yeah, if we're going to do this, he, she's going to move in and move in the kids, or we're all going to move into somewhere new because like we don't have enough bedrooms and bathrooms yeah. or whatever. You do want to have some degree of certainty or at least commitment to some stability around that relationship. So well, my everyone advice, thinks, well, everyone plans, yeah, plans stability. No, well, you alluded to something else though. Sometimes people don't really think it through. Yeah. <laughs> and the person who moved in this week, this month has gone in a month's time. Mm. Not really thought it through. So, one piece of advice I would give is don't rush to mix households without thinking it through. Right. Maybe go on a holiday together for a week or something, like a trial, you know, something where you can, this isn't forever, this is just for four days and we've rented a house in the, up the coast or something. I'd step one f step back. 
the actual stability of the new parental relationship, the new adult relationship, is perhaps the first critical thing. Yeah. Is that actually stable? So is it stable after a week? Probably not. Mm. Is it stable after a month? Probably not. So be patient. Be patient about mixing the whole household thing together. Yeah. Because what I'm suggesting is by the time you mix the household thing together, then you're looking at forming a new household. Yeah, I get that. But then practically, once you've done that, okay, we've all moved in, everyone's looking at each other sideways, does the step-parent become the step-parent from day one? Can you take out the garbage? Or is it like a really gradual, slow, allowing people to kind of grow into those roles? I think you need an open discussion. This is really challenging for all of us. Yeah. We had a way of doing things. They had a way of doing things. We've now got to find a new way of doing things. Mm. And within that setting, there's this adult parental relationship at the center of the whole thing. If that goes down the tubes, the whole thing's busted again. Yeah. And that includes the legitimacy of the other parent, adult, in the household. Yeah. Their legitimate authority in the household. And it's sensitive. It's a sensitive problem. Well, again, if I was 14, there is no way I would cop. It never happened to me, but I would cop. Even if I knew the guy and liked him. Him coming in or, or her coming in and telling me what to do. Like, you're who, who are you? You're a great 14-year-old. You're fabulous. Well, you're not my parent. You're just some guy You're not my here. parent. Yeah. Exactly. So you've gone back to the biologism. You're not my parent. Well, but no, but it's Only... not biologism. Socially, you're not my parent. Like, we met six months ago, and now you're moving into my house. Okay, that's for my mum or my dad, but maybe we'll have a relationship in a couple of years, but at the moment, how dare you tell me what to do? So here's the nub of the problem. Mm. I think in many situations that's never resolved. Yeah. You're still not my mum stroke dad. One month, one year, 10 years at the birth of the next grandchildren, you're still not You're still not legitimate. Yeah. You didn't start all this or you weren't there at the start. In fact, you're to blame for the trouble. You've got a secondary role. So this, the legitimacy, even the word step-parent's an interesting kind of idea. <laughs> yeah. There's parents and then there's the others. Yeah. Constantly. Yeah. So one of the challenges, I think, is creating legitimacy. Yeah. How do you do that? Because households can't function. Households can't (laughs) function. For you some lollies. (laughs) So the really hard thing, I think, for if you go back to the biological parent in this situation, is to say to their often their 14-year-old or whatever, I'm actually making a decision with this person to try and actually establish a new, ongoing, yeah. intimate relationship. And that's really hard. We both have kids. We both have history. We both have difficulties. But that's what I'm trying to do. And in order to do that, it requires recognition of the importance of this relationship. Now, we don't know. I mean, in the situations we've discussing, previous relationships have busted up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we, we none of us know what might happen in a year's time or 10 years' time. We don't know mm-hmm. the outcome of that. As I like to joke, I've only been in my current relationship for 30 years this year. It's a bit too early to tell. <laughs> you know, and if years. you have a history, if you have a history of Congratulations. If you have a history of relationships having broken up in the past, then you know mm-hmm. it's not necessarily permanent. But but if you say, okay, I'm coming in as a step parent and uh, the, the my new partner has got a seven-year-old and a 14-year-old, and we've gotten a few outings, we went away for a weekend, you know, I was trying to be really nice to them and they seemed okay. But what what are your aims? Like your your big aim as you go in is to form a good relationship with those kids so they like and respect you and you like them and it all works. Are there any nuts and bolts things that will help you get there? 
So you're trying to foster trust. Trust. Yeah. You're trying to foster trust. The main thing I think is not necessarily trying to suck up with the kids. Right. That's what I think. It's being committed to the relationship with the other adult. I'm here because I'm trying to make the relationship with yeah. your mum, your dad work. That's what's at the centre of this. Right. And, and clearly, the 14-year-old didn't choose this. <laughs> the 7-year-old didn't choose. We understand. You didn't choose this. But we did. We are making this choice. Mm. And to make that work, we've got to try and make a household that works for us. So roles and responsibilities, go back to my sort of structural family therapy yeah. here, roles and responsibilities matters. We need to make adult decisions. We've got to provide for this stuff financially. We have to work out the parenting. We have to work out how it actually works. Hmm. And as the adults and parents, we need to make those decisions. Taking into account your age, your stage, all of your needs, sure, we're trying to do that and everybody else's. So we're fundamentally the decision-making part of that. Now, that's pretty hard on 14-year-olds and others. <laughs> Hang on a second, I object. You yeah. go, Hang on, you've got limited voting rights. <laughs> yeah. Because if this new you adult relationship, you've got some, you're, you're in the consultation phase. Mm. But if we can't make this relationship work, then the whole thing's busted again. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. But then some kids might think, good. As pointed out to me recently, <laughs> many kids will go, great, I can torpedo this one. Yeah. <laughs> and he, he, she will be gone. So you're saying if I don't do the washing up on Tuesdays, the whole thing's going to fall apart. Okay. <laughs> so if I behave really badly, if I yeah. am distressed enough, if I hate you enough, if I Because it can operate as an incentive. Like, you know, mum comes and talks to her biological – I know I'm picking on 14-year-olds, but 14-year-olds saying, um, you know, you, you really don't seem to like Terry – and, uh, yeah, I hate Terry. It's really my, like it's an incentive for the kid if he doesn't like Terry to play that up because that increases the chances mum will think, well, sorry, Terry, we can't live together anymore because my son, it's really disturbing him. Absolutely. Now, that of course, might be an unconscious incentive. Right. And, of course, the behaviour of step-parents does matter. Yeah. I mean, if the dad comes in and there's a 14-year-old daughter and he's behaving badly, you know, and these problems are often complicated by alcohol, by substance abuse, by other behaviours that are suddenly really challenging oh, and they're right. in your household, yeah. Yeah. it's a right. huge challenge. Mm. And quite legitimately, the 14-year-old might be saying, this is unacceptable. Yeah, definitely. So I'm not saying they don't have a role. Yeah, definitely. Um. What about what, what I think? What I think I am alluding to is that many people end up in these situations without much thought, without much planning. Going to your earlier yes. comment, haven't really thought it through. They formed a relationship. I love him. I, I love, love him. Her. He's moving in. He's is sleeping it, here. Who cares about the details? Who cares? <laughs> Let's not dwell on the weekend. That's right. Just like that. That's right. That's right. Okay. What about this? So, you've got a fourteen-year-old son and a stepson who's fourteen as well. How do you avoid unconscious bias? That is, not even thinking you're doing it, but favouring your own son over the stepkid. As we discuss on this program endlessly, it's the unconscious made conscious. Yeah. Of course. I have particular relationships and have had them since birth. <laughs> yeah. And very tied to and see myself, you know, see myself in the mirror. I see him. I see the whatever. I understand temperamentally. Mm. Of course, I have a particular relationship with this boy and not with the other boy at yes. this point in time. I just accept that that is the case. On the other hand, what can I do to form a trusting, close relationship with the other? Mm. In what way can I behave to make that as good as it can be? 
without becoming totally indulgent, without falling over yeah. backwards. You know, and this is where I go back to the kind of rules and kind of responsibilities. Suddenly you've got two 14-year-old boys in your house. <laughs> what are the rules for the 14-year-old boys? Mm. Not what's the rule for my son versus your son. But it's really hard, isn't it? I mean, you know, it, you can avoid discriminatory rules fairly easily, but it's more that thing of after one minute of my stepson being, you know, rude to me, I shouted at them. But my own son, he has to do it for five minutes because I'm more patient with him and more understanding. Well, this comes back to my earlier comment about legitimacy. The example you give is a common one where, you know, the stepson's madly behaved. So you say to the stepdad, well, you've got to sort that out. Go and yeah. sort it out with your son and I'll sort it out with my son. Yeah. <laughs> right? I hate to dwell on this, but that's a classic no-no in the structural family therapy world. Me and my son versus you and your son. Oh, I see. Right. So you've yeah. just ruined all the boundaries again. So what should you do then? All, all together. All together. And getting or back swap. to Getting back to, yeah, and becoming good at the opposite. So the legitimate, mm. what, the, the point you reacted against earlier on, which I was trying to push, yeah. was the legitimacy of the step-parent yeah. commenting on, disciplining, enact, enacting the rules that we've agreed on for everybody. Yeah. Because, of course, you can arc up. <laughs> it's a good reason to say, no, I'm not going to do it. You're just the stepdad. Forget it. You're just the stepmum. What do you count? I'm going to go back and get my real mum to sort this out. The real, I love this one, the real parent versus the step. The step-parent thing just, just, just really gets me. There's always the real ones and the step ones. <laughs> yeah, but I get that because if you have years to get used to it, then, of course, the, the legitimacy of the step-parent increases each month, I guess, if things are going okay. But, but at I'm, the beginning – Well, I'm sort of challenging that. If you get well, – that's obviously true in terms of trust and emotional depth mm. and time spent together matters through experience. You can say anything you like, but if somebody's badly behaved, if someone breaches that trust, if a step-parent or somebody moves in behaves badly, clearly the whole thing's lost. Yeah. But let's assume that's not the case. Let's assume they're trying to make it work. I think you can accelerate the process or facilitate the process by being clear from the outset. It's new for everyone. And we've got to have an awareness of that. We're going to have to do things differently. Yeah. We're going to have to, best we can, agree the legitimacy of the parents to make rules, to introduce or to try and oversee the development of a new household, which mm. is neither of the previous households. It's new. It's different. So there's a transitional element for everybody. There's winners and losers in all of this. Some stuff's going to have to change. Yeah. Now, I would say in a developmental sense, coping with change, good thing. In fact, kids have been through all of these experiences say, oh, look, I've been through, you know, I've, I've lived through different households. I've lived through moves. Or, you know, changing again, no big drama. <laughs> They've learnt, and they've learned to reestablish. Yep, and learn to establish new relationships with new adults. You can see the this bit Pollyanna-ish again of me. You can see the up potential upside from a social Definitely. development point I, of view, I, I but that. only if it's well managed, only if it's well negotiated. If it runs into trouble, where you were headed before, I really liked. Think about professional help. Mm, okay. Think about it. You know, think about a third player, a mediator, someone wearing those you know UN blue berets who walks in the middle of this and goes, "Now look, <laughs> yeah." We're all trying to get on here, yeah. but we've all got baggage and some are more sensitive than others and sometimes who's being blamed isn't really fair and how could we do it differently? And I think the one you were hitting on, the one where it's sort of slightly disagreeing about here, the as quickly as possible establishing the legitimacy of the new parents mm. to act collectively is a really important one. 
Now, I did want to mention the exes, i.e. the biological parents that aren't in this new blended family, because I reckon this would be really challenging for them. But we're, I almost think that's probably worth another ep, don't you? I think this whole topic, yeah, <laughs> we okay. could head off into another series. But yes, so you just be not to trivialise that, but just yeah. in terms of this episode, the need for the parents to maintain good relationships with their exes. Very best important. they can, yeah. best they can for everyone concerned is a very important topic. Obviously not easily achieved. Obviously the breaches of trust and hurt parties and separations and difficulties, not easy to achieve. But if you're interested in the outcome from a kid's point of view, very important. Yeah, good. Well, we'll talk more about the role of the, the parents that are not – in the new blended family um, on another episode soon. Any questions or comments, want to suggest further topics for us, please send us an email. And thanks to all of you who have some uh, wonderful topic suggestions. The email is mindingyourmind2, that's mindingyourmindnumeral2 at gmail.com. The book version of Minding Your Mind, written by him and me, is available, covers lots of things we discuss about our mind and how it works. And our podcast is supported by the generous philanthropic donations from families who support ongoing research into youth mental health. Further help's available from Headspace, Beyond Blue, Head to Health and Lifeline. Google them. You can call Lifeline on 13111.